Well, again, good morning and welcome to One Life Community Church. My name is Greg, as I said a moment ago, and it is a delight to have you here and uh, to be able to join with you as we engage with God. I also want to welcome anyone who's watching on the live stream or catching up with later in the week on the podcast. Uh, Thank you for taking the time to engage uh, with us as you engage with God also. Um, Again, I want to make sure you grabbed a bulletin. There is space in there for you to take notes and, and do whatever other things are helpful for you to engage with God. So if you didn't, try and grab one of those before we get started. And then there's also one other thing as soon as I can find it. Oh yeah, if you haven't listened to the rest of this series, please go back and do it. I was just telling uh, Clint a few moments ago that, uh, and I told you all last week that I was, I was highly emotional uh, last week getting ready for, for this sermon. Um, and I found the same to be true this week. But I, I've just decided that uh, it's, it's because I'm, I'm sitting with the disciples and with this crowd at the feet of Jesus as we go through the Sermon on the Mount. Um, and it's just, it's just hitting at things. It's digging into me. And uh, so uh, hopefully it's uh, doing the same for you, that you're able to find some space with Jesus and finding connections with him. So, so please go back and listen to those sermons if you uh, haven't had a chance to. Uh, I, I found them to be... Uh, very helpful. So uh, with that, will you please all join me as I pray for our time together. God, again, I give you thanks for this day and for your presence in our lives. I ask that you would be with us, that you would draw us together, gather us together, um, that we would be united to hear from you as a collected group. Uh, There's something you do uniquely in our lives when we come together. And so I pray that we would Be that way, Holy Spirit, you would tune us uh, to hear from you, but to hear from you as this gathered group. Uh, And I pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Well, we are in week five of our sermon series in the Beatitudes, these opening remarks to what is called the Sermon on the Mount, the sermon that Jesus gave, uh, the sermon he gave to his disciples in this diverse crowd of people, a crowd of people who uh, lots of them didn't like each other, they didn't belong together. There were people there that thought they were better than some of the other people there. There were people there who believed that some of the others were unclean, uh, and to even be around them could make them unclean too. Some people knew some things about God. Some knew very little. Some were seeking. Some didn't care at all. Uh, It was this great mishmash of people. Uh, And this group also included the disciples, who, as I mentioned last week, were also in a weird spot. Jesus had just called them to come and follow him, just made that invitation uh, to to be his disciples when uh, that culture and that uh, society had told them, there's no way you could ever be a disciple. You already sort of missed the cut. You didn't pass the standards that it would have required to be a disciple, and so they'd gone on to other careers. And so there's this really interesting group of people there. And so that's the space we come into. And this week we're looking at the fifth of these Beatitudes. And it's found in Matthew chapter 5, uh, in verse 7 in particular. You can follow along there, or I'm going to read it up on the screen in just a second. I'm going to go ahead and read 1 through 7, though, so we have all of them kind of in order. So you can read along with me or be in your Bible. Uh, Matthew 5, 1 through 7. Now when Jesus saw the crowds, he went up on a mountainside and sat down. His disciples came to him, and he began to teach them. He said, Blessed are the poor in spirit, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Blessed are those who mourn, for they will be comforted. Blessed are the meek, for they will inherit the earth. Blessed are those who hunger and thirst for righteousness, for they will be filled. And blessed are the merciful, for they will be shown mercy. 
Now, if you remember, this idea of being blessed is that of having God with you. When Jesus says, blessed are, what he is saying is God is on the side of. God comes along and the blessed person, and then he carries them and moves with them. So the blessing of God is the presence of God. And today we're exploring the merciful. They're the ones who are named to be blessed, and they will be uh, shown mercy. What we've been doing the last, uh, through these is kind of trying to identify some of these words. And so I wanted to, to do that. One of the things I love is when you go looking uh, at the Greek word and you find out it means exactly what we've translated it to in English. And so the Greek word for merciful is this word eleemon, and it means to be merciful. Fantastic. Good job, translators. Um, the next word, though, is mercy, and that word is eleeo. And it means to have mercy on, to help one afflicted or seeking aid, to bring help to the wretched and the afflicted. And and so the ideas behind these words are what we call compassion. Compassion for those that are afflicted and then being moved to help that person, to to bring relief. So it's compassion and action. And I want to stop right there really quick. Go back to the crowd. The crowd I described is some having people who think they're better than others there, some having people who would look at the others and say, just because you're not one of my kind, you are wretched or unclean. And here we have Jesus saying, blessed are those who bring help to the wretched. Right? Already, just to start, there's that. So when Jesus says, blessed are the merciful, he has in mind this idea of compassion for those who are afflicted, accompanied by action to relieve their suffering. Now, To further explore this, we're going to jump around the Bible uh, quite a bit, but that's not a bad idea. The Bible's a pretty good place to jump around in. Um, But I also want to to do that because it's one thing for me to stand up here and tell you, this is what it means to be merciful, this, this, this. But I'd rather go through and see some of the examples or stories or uh, letters about uh, moments when we could see that happening. And so the first one we're going to look at is how God is merciful. That happens in Ephesians 2, 1 through 12. As for you, you were dead in your transgressions and sins in which you used to live when you followed the ways of this world and of the ruler of the kingdom of the air, the spirit who's now at work in those who are disobedient. All of us also lived among them at one time, gratifying the cravings of our flesh and following its desires and thoughts. Like the rest, we were by nature deserving of wrath. But because of his great love for us, God, who is rich in mercy, made us alive with Christ even when we were dead in transgressions. It is by grace you have been saved. And God raises us up with Christ and seated us with him in the heavenly realms in Christ Jesus, in order that in the coming ages he might show the incomparable riches of his grace expressed in his kindness to us in Christ Jesus. For it is by grace you have been saved through faith. And this is not from yourselves. It is a gift of God, not by works, so that no one can boast, for we are God's handiwork, created in Christ Jesus to do good works, which God prepared in advance for us to do. Therefore, remember that formerly you who were Gentiles by birth and called uncircumcised by those who call themselves the circumcision, which is done in the body by human hands, remember that at the time you were separate from Christ, excluded from citizenship in Israel, and foreigners to the covenants of the promise, without hope and without God in the world." All of humanity has a death sentence. Because humanity at one point stepped away from God, and the consequences of that stepping away was death. 
All humanity has a death sentence. And Paul describes that here in Ephesians as being dead in our transgression and sins. So we're all in the same boat. We're all under this death sentence. But then we're told because of his great love for us, God, who is rich in mercy, made us alive in Christ, even though we were dead in our transgressions. Even though we were as far away from God as you can possibly be. And so we have this God who is rich in, in mercy and humanity who's dead in sins, have moved away from God. This is the pinnacle of affliction. We're dead in our transgressions, and there's nothing we can do to change the state of that situation. But God, who is rich in his mercy, has compassion on humanity, on you and I and everyone else, has compassion on us in our dead condition and moves into action to relieve our suffering. And so God sends Jesus to come and have a face-to-face moment with us. And Jesus comes in to our affliction and into our suffering, not as someone who cannot understand it, but comes as a human being, facing all the things that we've had to face. And so we have a God who loves us, a God who is rich in mercy and who identifies with our afflictions and moves into actions. This guy, William Barclay, suggests that... uh, Being merciful is the same. It's getting into someone's skin. Thinking like they think, feeling what they feel, seeing what they see. It's not just feeling sorry for someone. It's actually getting into their skin. And so we see God and Jesus getting into our skin. Born as a human, he felt like us, thought like us, and saw like us. We read in Hebrews uh, chapter 2, verses 17 and 18. For this reason, he had to be made like them, fully human in every way in order that he might become a merciful and faithful high priest in service to God and that he might make atonement for the sins of the people. Because he himself suffered when he was tempted, he's able to help those who are being tempted. So, because Jesus suffered like us. He got into our skin. He thought like us, felt like us, saw like us. He empathizes and extends mercy to us. One of the things I hear a lot from people, including myself sometimes, is, Nobody gets me. I I, I just want someone who understands me. I want to tell you today that Jesus understands you. And all the things you're going through. And not just on some paper, not just in some observant kind of way. Jesus has stepped into our world and into our lives and into our humanity and has faced the very same things that we deal with on a day-to-day basis. Everything from the, the greatest temptation of you know, uh, being up on the cross and all the people telling him, come down, come down. And did he have the power to do that? Yeah, sure he did. Down to, you know, maybe he hit his thumb with his hammer when he was a carpenter, right? And was like, right? Down to those kinds of things. The big and the small, everything in between. In the midst of our affliction, he can come and offer compassion because he can empathize with us. Another spot in Scripture, Luke 10, 25, 37, says this. On one occasion, an expert in the law stood up to test Jesus. Teacher, he asked, what must I do to inherit eternal life? What is written in the law? He replied, how do you read it? He answered, love the Lord your God with all your heart and with all your soul and with all your strength and all your mind. And love your neighbor as yourself. You've answered correctly, Jesus replied, do this and you will live. But he wanted to justify himself, so he asked Jesus, who is my neighbor? 
In reply, Jesus said, a man was going down from Jerusalem to Jericho. And I just want to stop there. Anytime you're, you're asking Jesus questions and he breaks into story form, just know it's coming. Uh, a man was going down from Jerusalem to Jericho. When he was attacked by robbers, they stripped him of his clothes, beat him, and went away, leaving him half dead. A priest happened to be going down the same road, and when he saw the man, he passed by on the other side. So to a Levite, when he came to the place and saw him, passed by on the other side. But a Samaritan, as he traveled, came where the man was, and when he saw him, he took pity on him. He went to him and bandaged his wounds, pouring on oil and wine. Then he, put on the ma- then he put the man on his own donkey, brought him to an inn, and took care of him. The next day he took out two denarii and gave them to the innkeeper. Look after him, he said, and when I return, I will reimburse you for any, ex- any extra expense you may have. Which of these three do you think was a neighbor to the man who fell into the hands of the robbers? The expert in the law replied, the one who had mercy on him. Jesus told him, go and do likewise. The expert in the law asked, what must I do to inherit eternal life? And Jesus says, you tell me. You're an expert in the law. How do you read it? Love the Lord your God with all your heart and with all your soul and strength, with your mind, and love your neighbor as yourself. And Jesus says, yep, do that and you'll live. But then it says, The expert in the law wanted to justify himself, which means wanted to prove himself, wanted to show Jesus or himself, yep, I've done this, I'm covered. And so asks, and who is my neighbor? And so Jesus tells this story that we read just a moment ago. We read about this guy who was attacked and left on one side of the road, and a priest and a Levite come by, and they pass over to the other side of the road, which is, by the way, exactly what they should have done. We give these two a lot of grief when we go through this story. But according to Jewish law and Jewish uh, religious ceremony, for them to go over and touch this person would have made them ceremonially unclean. And so they were following the rules, right? If, if they do that, they can no longer uh, participate in the, in, the, in the role they have in culture and society until they go and do all these cleansing rituals, right? So, so they're... Right? For, for their worldview, yep, I can't help. I have to go do these things and I have to... Maybe we've heard the same voices in our head. I can't right now. I've got... So it's not surprising to anyone who's originally listening to this story that those two passed by. They would have been like, oh yeah, that makes total sense, right? They can't do that. What is shocking and surprising, though, is when Jesus says, and a Samaritan stopped and helped. Because... The Jewish people and Samaritans hated each other. They were enemies. And yet this Samaritan sees someone basically on death's doorstep and has compassion on them to such a degree that they're moved to action. They work to relieve the person's affliction. They bandage the wounds, pour oil and wine on him, puts him on a donkey, brings him, takes care of him, and then he even gives some money and says, yeah, if there's anything extra, put it on my tab, basically. I'll come in tomorrow and take care of it. So Jesus throws the question back on the expert of the law. Which of these three do you think was a neighbor to the man who fell into the hands of robbers? The one who had mercy. Yep, Jesus says, go and do the same. So according to Jesus, the way to inherit eternal life is to love God with all you have, love your neighbor as yourself. You just got to figure out who your neighbor is. The expert in the law tries to justify himself, but Jesus sees it differently. He says, yeah, remember, your neighbor just isn't someone you like, someone you get along with, 
It's also your enemy, the one you hate. And he's very savvy about this here. He doesn't use an expert of the law as the example in his story, or he doesn't even use someone that the expert in the law would respect as kind of the hero in his story. He doesn't simply say, and the Samaritan did the right thing. He lived out the love your neighbor thing. He asked the expert in the law, which of these three do you think was a neighbor to the man who fell in the hands of robbers? The expert in the law was trying to find out who his neighbor was. And Jesus is saying, that Samaritan one is the one who's figured out who his neighbor is and is going and caring for that person. The expert in the law is looking for a checklist, boxes to check off so he can say, yep, I'm covered. I got that. I took care of that person. And Jesus is saying, oh, if you're going to do that, make sure you include the Samaritans. Make sure you include the people you hate. Make sure you include the people you hate when they do something that you're supposed to be doing and you're not doing it. The point I want to make is as soon as it becomes a checklist, as soon as it becomes a requirement, it changes it. Jesus, in this story, I believe, is telling us that being merciful means that you're compassionate to anyone and everyone that's on your path, whether that be your family, your friends, your coworkers, your classmates, your baristas, the people at the grocery store, your neighbors, etc., anyone who's on your path. One of the challenges, though, is because of advancements in technology, our paths have become a lot wider than they used to be. And so we have, on a global scale, an awareness of people who are afflicted all over the place. And for some of us, that's very challenging. But for the merciful, it's just another invitation to further action. I'm going to get to my, the beginning of my final point, which, if you know me, you know that doesn't mean anything. Uh, but... Uh, because I think that we live in a very consumer-driven culture, both inside and outside of the church, I often think of these things in terms of, so how does the consumer then interact with this? Um, and how, do, how does that influence how I live my life as a follower of Jesus? And I think it's the difference between being merciful and doing acts of mercy that gets on the side of this, that gets to that side of things. Um, and, and, and there's really... Uh, well, there's two things I want to get out here. One is that we're told that uh, blessed are the merciful, for they will be shown mercy. All the other ones have been things like they'll inherit the earth, they'll be comforted. This one seems like a kind of equal exchange. Uh, and for some people, that doesn't seem as delightful uh, as some of the other rewards. But I think that Jesus is really wise in this because... Uh, I think he says this because at some point being merciful is going to cause you to get hurt. Being merciful at some point is going to cause you to be wounded because you're going to put yourself out there to offer help to someone who is afflicted and it's not going to, go up the, go, it's not going to end up the way you had expected or hoped. And so in that moment, you're going to end up needing mercy. And whether it comes from God or God working through someone else, Jesus here says that mercy will come for you in that situation in some form. But the reality is, is it opens up, uh, we open ourselves up to being hurt when we are merciful. But that also gets to the second uh, of these ideas about the economic thing. And the second one is that being merciful does not guarantee a return, especially one that me, we may want. And it always costs us something and it can hurt us. This goes back to the priest and the Levite. For them to be merciful to the man on the side of the road meant that they would become ceremonially unclean according to their own religious law. So they didn't do it. They said, it's not worth it. 
Jesus here is saying that law and your interpretation of the law is going so far that it's getting to the point where it's keeping you from following God's heart. It's very similar to how the Jewish religious leaders, the Pharisees, dealt with the Sabbath. And Jesus challenges them on that too. He heals a person on the Sabbath, which according to the Pharisees, you're not supposed to do because uh, when I studied it, uh, what they were talking about was sometimes to heal someone, you got to put together all these herbs and you got to do all this stuff and, and, and you weren't allowed to do work on the Sabbath. So it was considered some form of work. And so you weren't allowed to heal on the Sabbath. But Jesus pushes back on that and says, well, I'm going to heal this person and ask you, what's really more in line with the law and God's heart, to do good or evil on the Sabbath, to save life or to kill? And so he's pushing their understanding of this. And it should push us because we, have, we all have things that get in the way of us being merciful. For many of us today, it's because we're simply very comfortable. And it costs us to be merciful. It doesn't cost the same to carry out some calculated acts of mercy. And I want you to, to hear me when I say that. I'm not saying that those are bad or wrong. But it's a very different thing when I plan out ahead of time, here's how I'm going to be merciful. Than when something comes along our path. But I think the thing that causes us to not be able to be merciful the most is this inability to get into someone else's skin. Because getting into someone's skin, seeing like them, feeling like them, thinking like them, puts us on the inside of that person's suffering, affliction, and pain. And we often don't want to have anything to do with that. The challenge I find, though, is that when we're either unable or unwilling to get into someone else's skin, we cannot empathize with them. And we don't show mercy, compassion, and action. And we end up falling back, most often, I think, on judgment. Not the good kind of judgment where we make good decisions like, that chocolate cake is delicious. But the kind where we decide if someone is worth it or not. And we need a reason to not engage with people in a way that allows us to not get in our skin. And judgment provides that reason. If I can make the other person a villain, then it's easier to not be merciful because, oh, they deserve it. They got themselves into that. Oh, wait, what did Jesus say at the very beginning, though? The wretched, the afflicted. Oh. When I thought about this in particular, I thought about a situation in our own city with the growing homeless population. And there's a legitimate problem there. People who are hurting, people who are asking lots of questions, trying to find a place to go and be safe. But I often ask myself, am I finding myself in a position to ease the affliction of the homeless in Seattle? Or am I saying things that start with words like, those people? Do I try to help in some way? Or do I do nothing except complain about how they're ruining this city? I remember Angie and I talking about this one time, and I was really frustrated. I was actually uh, driving home from church. This is when I lived over in Wallingford. And I was um, taking the exit to 50th and, and 45th Street off of I-5. And, and the hillside right there was, was littered with garbage. And I started making some uh, those people kind of statements. And Angie said, well, where do you expect them to put their garbage? 
And I didn't have an answer. So I thought about it, and I came to the conclusion that someone should go down and clean up that garbage. The danger with entering into being merciful is that it costs you. Because when you start making statements like someone should, God's often saying, yep, keep going. You're going to get there eventually. Yep, keep it coming. A few more steps. You'll get there. Or at the very least, inviting you to take steps to make it happen. So then I had the thought, I should just go buy a bunch of garbage bags, walk down there, and clean up just that hill. But then I thought about all the things that might be in that garbage. And I thought... It's, it's probably extremely unsanitary. I don't really have the know-how with a lot of that stuff, etc., etc. So I didn't. And I've not yet gone to clean that hillside. But at the very least, Angie's question was focused on the group in a different way than my statement. My judgment about them was focused on those people and what they were doing that I didn't like. Angie's was tied to a reality that if you're homeless, what do you do with your garbage? It was tied to at least trying to see it through their eyes from the inside of the situation. It's interesting to me that as I was going through this, I discovered that the Greek word for judgment, this word krises, uh, means separating or sundering. And it makes sense. When you make a judgment, you decide on something. Sometimes that's good. I make a judgment to decide to stop at a stop sign. I separate an option and I act on it, and that's a good one. But when we do that to people without having done the work of getting inside their skin... It becomes a problem. It becomes judgmental, separating. When I do the work to get inside their skin, it's bringing together. God, who is rich in mercy, knew we were afflicted, and Jesus got in our skin, and in doing so became mercy for us. I want you to know today, if you are in any way afflicted, know that Jesus understands what you're going through. And because of that, there's hope. For Jesus is merciful. Whatever other things you may have been hearing about Jesus or things that you've been hearing about yourself in the midst of your affliction, know that you are worth it. And Jesus longs to meet you in your suffering and bring healing and comfort and wholeness in mercy. The challenge for us is Jesus is our model, our template for what it means to be merciful. So I hope as the body of Christ, we can live that out well. And I want to say that I'm so very proud of our church for the things we're already doing that are in line with Jesus' heart of mercy. Our tutoring ministry, our work with the hunger intervention program, the dinner church, different things I hear going on in the lives of our core groups, different missional components where people are going out and cleaning up neighborhoods, other individual stories that I hear. But at the same time, Our world is in affliction, and our world needs mercy. And we as the body of Christ are called and empowered to be merciful in this world. And that gives me great hope. I have a quick video that I want to show you, um, and it's it's just an example of this. It's it's not uh, anything too fancy, but but I also, I've felt uh, the last... Four of these sermons have been good and challenging um, and and really dug at some stuff. Uh, But I felt at the end of this one, uh, I could either end on a, and we are doing terrible at this, and we need to get better, and da-da-da-da-da, or I could end, we actually know some things about this. We've been doing it, but our world still needs it. 
Um, and so I want to end, uh, and I'll come back with the connection card questions after this, but I want to let this video sort of just help send us out on a like, this is stuff we could be doing um, mode. So let's see if we can get that rolling. And I may need you in the back to get that, Paul. Is it not showing up back there? Okay. I will, uh, I can walk you through it real quick. It's a story about uh, a man who came upon uh, a 67-year-old woman who was sitting in a motorized wheelchair. You may have seen it on the news. Uh, and the, the wheelchair was broken. He was on his way to the gym. Uh, he was a boxer. And uh, he just said, mm, she looks like she might need help. So he asked, do you need help? She said, yeah, my wheelchair is broken. I need to get home. And he said, okay, I'll push you. Uh, so he pushed her for a half hour in Georgia heat uh, to her home. And one of the things the news said, it was like, it wasn't the workout he was expecting, but, you know, so he pushed this motorized wheelchair for a half hour. Um, and when the reporter asked him, you know, what, what made you decide this person needed help? And he said, you're the first reporter that's asked me that. And he said, you know, it was just something in me that went, hmm, I wonder if that person needs help. Uh, so he asked. The lady said, I'd been praying, Jesus, send me someone safe to help get me home. This guy shows up, pushes her home, and then they separated, and both of them realized, oh, I never got the person's number. So there was a guy walking along videoing this whole thing, um, which I'm sure the boxer sometime might have been like, if you want to switch, that'd be fine. I'll carry the cell phone. <laughs> And you can push, but the person holding the camera seemed very content. Uh, so, but the lady ran into that guy and said, I need this guy's number. And so got the guy's number and contacted him and then took him to church. Said, I want to bring you to my church. And when he got there, the lady had told everyone about it. And they like gave him this huge, like that golden buzzer moment I was talking about. They cheered for him and applauded him. And now he goes to church with her like every Sunday. And they're like becoming really good friends. And so it's this great picture of Mercy, beginning mercy, and, and all this stuff. And even though it doesn't always happen that way, they could have split up and been, nah, and he could have just gone on, and she could have just gone on. But there was something more there. And so I wanted that kind of rumbling around in your heart. If you go onto YouTube and search CBS News, Good Samaritan, you'll find it. Uh, so with that, invite the worship uh, team and prayer team up. I have a few questions uh, that I would like for you to answer. You can write them down on that uh, connection card, your answers, if you would. That'd be great, and put them in the wood boxes as you go. Um, I'll ask these and pray, and then while I'm doing that, the worship team will play instrumentally and give you a moment to write those answers down. Uh, the first question is, have you experienced or sensed God's mercy in your life? Any way, shape, or form, any moment you can think of, you can answer yes or no. You can be more uh, specific if you want to, but have you experienced or sensed God's mercy in your life? I just think that's a good question to start with because it kind of sets us in the mode of this is what mercy is. Second, we are all merciful to some degree, but what most often stands in the way of your being merciful? 
Maybe it is that judgment piece where you fall back and kind of say, yep, I need this thing. If I, if I can make them, at, at least I can make it their fault or something, I can kind of give myself a reason to not get on the inside, not to get into their skin. Or maybe it's some other reason. And three, who is one person slash people group that you have found yourself being more judgmental about than merciful towards? What might it look like for you to be more merciful towards the person slash people group? So it could be anyone. We have lots of people in our culture today that are at each other. And so maybe it's someone who's on the other side of the political spectrum. Maybe it's someone who's on the other side of the fence and it's your neighbor. Maybe it's someone in your family, right? Just who is one person or people group you find yourself being more judgmental about than merciful towards? And and what might it look like for you to be more merciful? Uh, Let's pray and then we'll uh, move on to our song. Jesus, I give you great thanks for your mercy. God, that you would come and know our affliction. Your word says that he who had no sin became sin for our sake. Lord, it is the fullest expression of mercy to see what it cost, and yet your word also says you you considered it nothing to hold on to, to come and become one of us, to get into our skin. I'm just overwhelmed with thankfulness today that no matter what situation I'm in, you can be right there next to me and say, yeah, I know. I know what it's like to be right where you're at. And to say, walk with me because I've been through it, and I can bring you through this. I just pray for more people to find you, Jesus, and to find that mercy that can lead us out of our death to our, in our transgressions and our sins. God, I want people to be alive in you. So I pray that we as a church would be people who embody what it, be, what it is to be merciful. Help us see the spots where we're not. Help us see the spots where we're blind to certain things and, we, and help other people to come into our lives to call us on things and we can go, oh yeah. We don't have to get in a fight with that person who calls it out, but we can receive it. Yeah. Jesus, I just pray you'd be present with us and that as we go, we would become like you, empathize with others, be moved to action. I pray this all in Jesus' name. Amen.